Welcome to the first Intuition Podcast. On this episode, we talk about written tasks, how to add extra details and use a structure to pick up marks available. We recorded the session in front of a live Zoom audience, and if you'd like to join a future live show, you can register for them. There'll be a link in the show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Student Forum and Podcast. My name is Ben Bullman, and I'm joined again this evening by my good friend and tutor colleague, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Evening, Ben. And what, what's this week been like for you? Last week, it was lots of teaching and gearing up for results. So how were the results and, and what else has been going on? So a few things. I've, I've done some teaching. I've been teaching in the, the fine cathedral city of Peterborough today. I started the week, though, and um, hello if you're listening to this, having met me online at the NHS HFMA student conference. But once a year, student body from the NHS, lots of finance studiers and students at the NHS run a conference. And I have for the last couple of years been asked to go along, do some workshop sessions and host or co-present the, the, the day of virtual interaction. So if I met you on the HFMA student conference on Monday this week, um, hello, welcome back. I did share the link to this session and I did put the link to the podcast recording out there. So if you're an NHS student, um, nice to meet you and thank you for taking the time to come and listen again. So that was Monday this week. And then you're right, big exam results season for ICAW students on Friday but a bigger number of the students for the centre I deal with got ACCA results on Sunday night. And I've been getting the emails back. I love this time of year when students start emailing me to say, brilliant news, Ben. I passed the, the last ACCA unit that I was doing. I'm now moving on to the next one. I'm sure you've also had similar congratulatory emails for your students over in Chelmsford, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. We had a, a big group of students doing ICW exams and we got some absolutely amazing results there and then ACCA results as you said out on Sunday night or Monday morning I never know technically which one it is um, and um, again some really good results there we had um, a couple of people that, um, that have been studying with us for quite a while got passed their final ACCA exam uh, and now are fully ACCA exam qualified and just need to complete their practical experience records to to get those ACCA letters and that, that's that's the bit that I love most of all is um, you know it's, it's not the fact that I'm not going to see them again. It's just that they, they've reached that milestone, and I've had a little piece, you know, a little kind of you know, piece of that journey along the way with them. Brilliant. Well, uh, another full-on week then for both of us. And as we're recording this, I think next week is going to be a school half-term week. So yep. we're, we're we're planning a week off. I know you've got plans to take some time off. I'm actually going to be teaching, but we're not going to be doing a live session next week. So if anyone is, is thinking of joining, um, I would suggest in the week off, go back and listen to some of the previous episodes of the podcast. Just because myself and Dave will not be going live at six o'clock next week, you can still go back and listen to some of the previous episodes. There is a real bank of subject matter and sessions that you can listen back to. But we have got a live session this evening. So we're joined tonight by some live students on Zoom, but we're also recording it for our weekly podcast. And the theme of this evening session is professional writing. Dave, I don't know if you wanted to reflect on your experiences of accountancy exams and their development over the years, but I can't think of a qualification we teach now that hasn't got quite significant elements of written task or written questions 
requiring a response from students. Have you seen that come in or be more prevalent in the qualification in recent years? There's always been an, a, a written element in the, in the exams, um, definitely. But I think the at, at the kind of like AAT level, the, the written elements used to be quite superficial. And it was, do you know a definition of something? Um, you know, can you spot the odd one out? What type of costing system are they using? And it was really just a case of quizzing you on your knowledge, but using words to do it. Whereas what I think a lot of the qualifications have come around to is the idea that a lot of the numerical stuff that we do can be automated and machines can do a lot of the work that makes our lives a lot easier. And I know that definitely when it comes to financial accounting, when I started, I was writing cash books. And nowadays, all of that stuff is automated. But where the real value that we bring is by being able to take quite complex ideas and quite complex sets of figures and being able to explain them to people, whether that is explaining them to other members of our team that maybe are more junior than us, or whether it's explaining them to someone that's in a completely different department that doesn't understand finance. And that's really where the exam, the exam boards have really got hold of the idea that we need to be able to explain what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so we're now seeing those written elements at the AAT level are far more detailed. And we have recently seen brand new guidance from the ACCA about you know, how they're going to be assessing and marking those kind of professional writing um, marks. So yeah, I, I have see, I've seen a change definitely in the way that th those written questions are asked. So it's now a key skill, not only in the exam, and we're going to talk about some exam technique in a minute, and hopefully, give you some tools, some ability to improve your marks if you're doing, studying an exam that's got written elements at the moment. But it's broader than that. This is a career skill. It's a skill in our profession. And I wanted to just read something. Our colleague Ian, one of your great team of tutors in Essex, Dave, sent me a couple of emails today when he knew this was the, the topic of conversation. And he spoke very passionately and coherently at a tutor meeting we had a few months back across the FI network. And his take, professional writing, I'm just going to read this, but I think there are some really important aspects to it. He said the accounting profession requires accurate, insightful advice to be communicated in an easy to understand, logical and succinct manner. Now, there are some quite key elements there. The first one I want to mention is accurate. We need to make sure that the information we are writing about is borne out by facts. And we'll talk more about how you can look to do this in your exam answers in a moment. Insightful advice, though. What he means by insightful advice is actually looking beyond the numbers. People can read numbers, but what they require us to do and what the exams are quite often testing us on is our ability to go beyond the numbers and actually explain insightfully what does that mean? What's happening behind the scenes? Communicated in an easy to understand. Boy, oh boy, I've been teaching level two AAT today and I've almost stopped apologising. It's not my fault that in the world of accountancy, we have got the term trade receivables trade debtors, receivable control account, sales ledger control account, all meaning effectively the same thing. 
And if there's one thing we're good at in the world of accountancy is maybe bamboozling people with technical jargon and names for things. And one of the key skills that we can all develop is our ability to take what are quite complicated concepts. A lot of the stuff we teach is, is actually quite high level, complicated things, but be able to explain them to non-financial aware people. Something we'll be talking about in a moment in a logical and succinct manner, not waffling. And so I'm going to get to the point now and say we need to be very exact in our responses being very to the point and structuring our answers, something I'll talk about in a minute. So we are not waffling. We're actually answering what's been required of us in an exact manner. What, what's your view on that as an overview of professional writing, Dave? Yeah, I, I like it. One of the things that, that really struck me is the um, when it talked about um, kind of an easy to understand manner, isn't it? it reminded me of a um, the I think it's Albert Einstein quotes where he says that if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough, which I, I think is absolutely right. I think that the people that really understand things well at a really good level are able to break it down and use really simple terms. When you get people that are throwing jargon and loads of long words and complicated terms at you, I, I often think people kind of almost hide behind those terms by saying, well, I'm going to throw these long words at you to confuse you because I don't really want to have you ask any questions. So that, that's why I was like, you know, can you can you explain it to me? And, and the, the test that I always use is, could you explain it to my mum? Okay, my mum is not an accountant. She's never worked in finance. She knows nothing about finance whatsoever. So could you take that concept and explain it to my mum? And if you can explain it to my mum and she understands, you understand it really, really well. If you blow my mind's mum, my mind's mum, my mum's mind with whatever you say, and she goes, I haven't got a clue what you're saying. I don't think you understand it well enough. So that's my kind of like test as to how well do you know stuff. I love the fact you mentioned your mum. I quite often refer to my mum when I'm teaching as well. I've never plucked up the courage to do it, but I have threatened to a class. I'm going to dial her up on speakerphone. I'm not sure she'd do well joining a, a Zoom or a Teams call, but we'll call her up and I'm going to put her on loudspeaker and we're going to explain a concept to her. I've never plucked up the courage to do it, but who knows? One day in one of my classes, I might do it. I'm sure my mum would, would be amazed and, and love to speak to some students, but get them to explain concepts to her. Brilliant point and something I'll come back to when we look at some techniques. But Ian, our colleague tutor, gave me some advice on how students maybe could structure an answer. He talks about PEEL, P-E-E-L, and I'll talk us through what they stand for in a second. But I've dashed home from teaching tonight. And when I got in, my eldest daughter was in and home from school. So I said, oh, later, I'm doing the podcast tonight. And we usually have a bit of a chat. How's your day gone? How's my day gone? And then I say, I'm doing the podcast. And I said, tonight we're doing written, how to write, how to write an answer. And she at that point was doing her homework. And she was like, oh, actually, I'm doing some English at the moment. And I've heard her speak about this before. My English teacher says when we are writing things, she's 14, she's in year nine at school, we need to do P points, P-E-A. And it's very similar to the peel that Ian and I'm going to talk through tonight. So if it's OK, we're going to break things down. If you're listening to this as a student that's planning to sit or about to sit a written exam, try and see if this can help give you more depth more structure 
and hopefully, therefore, more marks to your written points. I'm pretty confident you can turn what might get you one mark into potentially three or, at best, four marks just by following the Peel logic. So the P, the P stands for point. Both Layla's point in P and Ian's point in Peel. The first thing you need to do is open up with what's your point? Dave, I'm sure you are familiar with the concept of trade receivables. Yes? I've, I've heard of them then, yes. And so when we are doing the exam, and I'll name check a few, it could be financial statements for limited companies at AAT level four or management accounting decision and control at level four. Could be financial reporting exam at ACCA. Anyone where you have to do some ratio analysis, what's the main ratio that we would either calculate or be given for trade receivables, Dave? The, the one that I would look for is something like the receivables collection period. Brilliant. Trade receivable days. Back in my day, it used to be called debtor days. It means the same thing. So the point, if we're going to talk about the ratio of trade receivable days, my point is, trade receivable days have increased. And I see this a lot from students. They will open up by saying trade receivable days have increased. Now, that's a start point. That's making a point. And it might get them potentially, from what I've just said there, trade receivable days have increased half a mark. How can I make that point better? Well, the first thing I would do in my opening point is use what the syllabus and the institutes call a qualitative word. Anyone can say a number has increased or decreased. My mum would know a number going up has increased, a number going down has decreased. What we need to do is make that qualitative for the reader. So if I say to you, Dave, or listeners, trade receivable days have increased would you say that would be a good thing or a bad thing for the business's cash flow i think well trade receivables are amounts of money that are owed to us from our customers so if that's gone up that means that our customers now owe us more money which means that if they owe it to us we don't have it so if we haven't got it in our bank account that's bad for us so trade receivable days increasing are bad for cash flow Yes. Now, bad and good are a bit basic. I've got visions of someone doing a smiley face emoji or a grumpy face emoji. We're not allowed to use emojis in professional written exams, but in theory, grumpy face emoji. Trade receivable days have increased. But I would start expanding your vocabulary by using qualitative words. The word I would look for is worsened. That's a really nice word to use in your opening point because you are showing a level of understanding. Trade receivable days have worsened for the business, not gone up. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Uh, personally, I like the word deteriorated. So, uh, but, uh, exactly. And, and that's why I always, I always make that point to students when we're looking at describing what's happened. You can't just say something has gone up, something's gone down, because something's gone up is, is going up good or bad. You know, sales going up, good, but your overdraft going up, that's bad. So you know, until you've got context, you can't say whether going up is good or bad. So, yeah, it's always 
has it improved? Has it deteriorated? I like your worsened. Okay, but absolutely, yeah, you need to show you understand what that number changing means. So we've covered the P. The first P is make your point. Open up and try and use a qualitative word. Use your knowledge. Is this worse? Is this better for the business than it was before? Or if you're comparing one business to another, is it better or worse for this business than the other business, the other company? So that's our point. Trade receivable days have worsened. The next thing in the peel or the P is an E. The word for E I want you to think of first is evidence. Too many students take written questions very literally and only write, only use words. What's the best way to evidence trade receivable Dave's days worsening, Dave? To, to, to show, to show with the numbers. So, so if they've worsened, the trade receivables have, you know, they were 34 days last year and they've now moved to 42 days this year. Brilliant. And in the exams, it will usually be from one or two ways. Either the scenario will have given you the ratio, so they're there on a plate for you to just use to evidence your point in your answer, or you've had to use the numbers from the accounts to calculate them and then have the number to use in your answer. But I would imagine you're very similar to me, Dave. How many times have you seen students calculate lots of ratios in an appendix or at the top or in part A of a question and then type an uh, explanation underneath, but not use a single one of those numbers to illustrate their point. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's crazy. And sometimes the numbers they calculate are brilliant, but in terms of what's needed for discussion, you don't need a level of brilliance. You just need a, a, a fundamental understanding, really, of arithmetic. Uh, and you know, are numbers bigger than others and where they come from? So if we are going through our peel, our point was trade receivable days have worsened. And then you gave some numbers. I can't remember what you said, but let's imagine they have gone from 35 last year to 44 this year. We have just evidenced. And I think now potentially we could be getting two ticks, a tick for showing our point. They are worse than they were before and a tick for using the evidence either from the scenario, the numbers given to us, or the numbers we've calculated to evidence and back up. So please, guys, listen in. If you're planning for your written question, your written task coming up, make sure you evidence your points with some numbers. Now, this is where it changes slightly. My daughter, Layla, talks about analysis. That's the A in her P. But for Ian, we talk about explaining. And I'm going to go with Ian's peel for you tonight. So we've made our point. We've evidenced it with the numbers to back it up. Now we're going to explain it. What are trade receivable days, Dave? How would you explain those to your mum? I would say it's the average length of time that it takes a customer to pay the debts to the business. Perfect. I wrote down average days taken for customers to pay the business. Exactly what you said. Now, the problem we all make is we know that, and I hope everybody listening to me knows what trade receivable days are. The problem is 
most people out there in the real world haven't got a clue. Yeah. And so we need to use our knowledge, our ability to explain what does that actually mean? No good just telling them trade receivable days and that they've worsened without explaining what that means in very clear, very exact, but very succinct way. So I love it. Let's imagine we're writing our answer as we go. So we are now saying point trade receivable days have worsened evidence. They have gone from 35 to 44 days explaining full stop new sentence trade receivable days tell the business how long on average it takes their customers to pay them are we all clear so far Dave is this making sense it is so far Ben perfect and I think potentially we might now be on three ticks Mm -hmm. Three marks towards what initially we thought, oh, I'm going to get one mark for talking yep. about trade receivable days. But I don't think we've actually done our best yet. We have got one more element to include. And I actually think this is the bit that I see most students missing from their answers. I think actually I'm doing a disservice to our students. I think most students would have probably got to where we are by now. Yeah, the point the evidence with the numbers and the explanation of what does that mean? The last thing they need to do is link to the question. Ian talks about peel, point, evidence, explain. The L is link to the question. Link back to the scenario. Your examiner will have spent lots of time writing the question. And what's going to really annoy them and their team of markers if you've not bothered to actually use the information and the clues they've given you about the business, about the scenario. So your link to the question, I think, can be one of two things and potentially both. The first thing is a why. Why has this happened? And so far, we haven't told them why this has happened. We've just told them what's happened. Dave. Why might the trade receivables have gone up? My worsened. It, it's because, Ben, you've, over the course of the last year, you've won a massive contract with a new business. But to win that contract, you had to give them an extended credit period. Perfect. A really good why justification. If we've given our customers or a big customer extended credit, they're now taking longer to pay. That's now being evidenced in the numbers that we have just told them about. Brilliant. This is where students need to read the scenario and use the clues the question and the examiner have given you. If you can't find a clue, you can suggest one. The other skill students need with their why, if you can't obviously see the reason why in the clues, you can use the phrase, a potential reason for this may be, and you can take a bit of poetic license as long as you justify a reasonable reason for it. So you talked about offering extended credit. If I couldn't find that in a scenario, I might have said a potential reason for this is the business have not 
spent as long on credit control. Maybe they've reduced their credit control. They're not sending statements as regularly to their customers. They're not picking up the phone and chasing the debt. Use the clue to try and spot the reason why, and that's the best thing to do. But if you can't find one, the term I would use is a potential reason for this could be, and then try and justify a reason why. Dave, what's yeah. your experience of students using the clues and actually just to say why? The, the only exception to your um, coming up with a reason saying this potentially could be is you don't want to suggest a reason that contradicts something in the question. So if you say, oh, a reason could be because we've won loads of new business and the question shows that the business is getting smaller. So it must have lost some business. Um, the, I absolutely agree that the, you know, the examiners leave breadcrumbs throughout the whole of the, the narrative to, so that they have got clues um, and they're expecting you to pick up on some of them. But you're absolutely right. I, I do always say that, you know, that there is room for saying a potential reason is. Now, if in the exam they're asking you to talk about, say, four different elements and they want you to, and you know, they're expecting you to link it back to the scenario. I don't think for all four of them, you could say a potential reason is a potential reason is a potential reason is. But I always think of it as it's like your get out of jail free card. If you can't think of something, you can't pick it up. Your mind's gone blank. You don't know what to write. It's a really nice one just to put in there. And, and examiners will look at that favorably. You know, if you're saying the same thing four times in a row, then yeah, okay, you've done it once but I'm not going to give you credit for all of them. But I say exactly the same thing with the variance analysis questions that I, I you know, set students all the time, is if you can't think of a reason for the variance, there's always, you can say, this could be because, but you can't say it all the time. Really good advice, Dave, really good advice. And the final part of linking to the question, if you've said why, or for whatever reason, you can't think of a reason why, the other thing you can do is say, so what? So what does that mean for this business? And I think you could do both. You could say why it's happened or you believe it's happened. But you could then put in a second sentence to say this for the business means. What does it mean for your business, Dave, if customers are taking longer to pay than they were in previous years? Well, it means that you've got less money because your customers are not paying you till later so as a result you're not getting the money when you thought you would or when you would expect to um, and the impact of that is what less money coming to business lower bank balance could mean that you become overdrawn may, maybe that you can't afford some capital expenditure that you're planning so it can have those real cash flow impacts on the business brilliant and again look for the clues the so what, this means the business is currently using their overdraft facility, for example, because they're not getting the money in quick enough. They're having to actually use the bank to provide some short term um, cash. So look for the reasons, but also look for the clues as to what is this causing for the business? A so what? So let's just quickly recap, because I think now just for something hopefully as simple as trade receivable days we could get a mark for our point it's worsened we could get a mark for using the numbers the evidence to back it up we could get a mark for our explanation what do trade receivable days actually mean we could get a mark for suggesting the reason why hopefully picking up the clue from the scenario 
and we could, if we're really lucky, get a further mark for the so what, what is this causing for the business now? And I think we could potentially have turned one point into five mark scoring parts of our written question. I think that's a good return, don't you, Dave? If we could go through every written answer and turn one mark into potentially five, think about the power that could have in your written answer marks. Absolutely. And it's when you see those written questions and that they're asking you to write for, say, 15 marks to give some kind of financial analysis. And, and it wouldn't be unusual to get kind of mark allocations like that. A lot of students look at it and say, well, 15 marks is huge. Um, you know, what can I talk about? And they will go through and they'll say, profit has gone up. Um, costs have gone down. Uh, you know, overheads have stayed the same. And, you know, they're listing what's going on in numbers. And, and you know, how do I get 15 marks out of that? But if you look at each one of those and say, right, can I, can I improve the quality of the words that I'm saying to start with? And you know, it's improved, it's deteriorated. You know, and now tell me the evidence of that. And something that I always like to see is that person that gets the calculator out and says that, that sales revenue has improved and then says by 13%. Brilliant. You've got a really good understanding of the of the numbers there. And if you if you can do that, and I think five is huge. If you can get five marks, if it's a 15 mark question, that means you only need to talk about three things. Whereas what a lot of students will do is they'll throw themselves in and they'll be talking about every single number that they've got because they're not going through that process of you know going all the way through right the way back to can I link it to the scenario and understand the impact that it has on our business. Now I, I I think it's hard to get five marks, though. I think if you can do that five times, you know, use that five-step process and get five marks, you are brilliant if you can do it every time. I think that you might be able to look at one of those numbers and feel confident about, say, the, the gross profit margin and being able to talk all the way through for five marks. But then if you could take something else and you could take the receivables period and you can actually just get as far as maybe three of those points, you're suddenly looking at five marks for your gross margin, three marks for receivables. You're now looking at eight marks. And, and very quickly, you can be edging towards that 15 mark target, you know, even if you're not getting the full five on each of them. You know, if you think that if you can get three or four, then that means really if you've got you know, four good points, you've passed any professional exam. You know, four good numbers to talk about. And, and now that's what I talk about a lot is how can we take any exam and take a 15 mark question or a 20 mark question and how can I break that down into little chunks and if we said right if I've got a 15 mark question and I can write for five marks about each number I only need to talk about three numbers so suddenly it becomes three five mark questions and then they, each of those five mark questions become well I've got the p I've got the e so one mark for each of those so now I'm just looking at 15 one mark questions and anyone can write for one mark can't they they certainly can. And I think we could still do better. I just want to go back to my opening um, paragraph that I read out from Ian. At the end of that, I said, easy to understand. I think using that peel structure makes things easier to understand, particularly in that explain part of the E. Logical and succinct manner. And I think the logic is not the scattergun approach where you are talking about sales in the first sentence and then you're jumping to talk about profit in the second, but you've gone back to sales in the third and then you're jumping to talk about wages, trying to give it this structure. 
What's the best thing, Dave, you think students could do to give a structure to each part of their written question? Well, I, I like in a written question, for me, I, I like people to leave space, use headings, use titles, and you know, really think about what the marker's going to see. And, and the way I tend to think about it is that I, I want you to leave a bit of space in every answer and imagine you've left a little bit of space every time you want a marker to give you a little tick. Okay, so every time that you think I've made a mark there, make sure there's space for a little tick alongside it. And then when I look at it as a marker, I'm looking at your working and thinking, all right, there's a point there, a point there, a point there. And if you've given me the gap to leave a little tick, okay, I want to give you a tick there. You know, I'm automatically thinking, here comes a tick. I'm just checking what you've written is okay. Yes, it is, it's a tick. So layout to me is huge. Headings are vital. In my opinion, there is nothing better if I've got to mark some mock exams for students in a written question, the students that have given me a nice structure with headings. So going back to our example, maybe a heading for trade receivable days and then mm -hmm. talking underneath the peel structure of what's there. And then the next thing, maybe they are talking about gearing ratio with a heading and then the structure underneath. That to me is professional layout. Yeah. And there might not be a direct mark for the heading, but I promise you it will boost your marks because it will just give your answer a better structure, a better flow and avoid your points not getting the credit they deserve because you are jumping from here, there to the next thing. The other things that we can usually award marks for when we're marking are maybe a brief introduction. So at the top of your answer, just a very quick introduction. In this report, I'm going to talk about the key ratios impacting on name the business and the year end that we are dealing with. And what do we always get a mark for in the sorts of exams you do at the bottom, Dave? What's good exam form at the end of your answer? I think you're talking about the, the thing that is my pet hate when people don't do it is if you're asked to draw a conclusion or make a decision, make a decision. And if they do say, you know, can you, you know, can you make a recommendation, recommend something, you know, even if you've not done the rest of the question, tell the examiner how you would have made that recommendation. I often think those kind of decide or recommend marks are, are amongst the easiest marks to get in the exam because it doesn't matter what you've done in the rest of the exam as long as your recommending is based on the, the correct logic, you should always get the marks for it. So use a heading there again. I wouldn't just write the summary at the bottom unless it was under the heading conclusion. Put heading conclusion, and then try and pick out the key thing. You've talked about lots of things, but what was the one thing? If there was one thing you wanted them to take away from what you've talked about, what's the key thing? And a recommendation on the back of it. So the key thing I need to tell you is cash flow is now a problem for your business. I recommend you look to reinstall a credit controller. You send out more regular statements, whatever it is that's a practical recommendation, the next step on from what you've just analysed for them. Guys, I'm looking at the time. This happens most Wednesdays for me and Dave. It is now seven o'clock. I know that I've got a family that needs to be fed, so I'm going to go and have some, some dinner with, with my family in a minute. Dave, I know you're in a similar position. 
Um, I just want to say a big thank you. Thank you for the live students that have joined us this evening. I hope you have found the session useful. Dave, thank you for coming along again. A reminder, we're not running a live session next week, but podcast listeners, go back over the back catalogue, download an episode that you haven't listened to before or listen to one again. Dave, have you got any final words for this evening? Again, echoing you, Ben, thank you so much for everyone turning up. Um, good luck for those of you that are preparing for exams, because um, I, I know that it's, you know, for some of us, it's getting close to exam time and, you know, the pressure starting to crank up. And um, if you are attempting those written questions, even if it's not a written question where you've got to explain numbers, as we've gone through today, a lot of the principles we've gone through, you can apply regardless of the exam you're doing. So if you are doing one of those you know, horrible written papers like the audit exams, Ben. A lot of what we've talked about you can use in those audit exams in terms of structuring your answer and expanding your marks. So going from I've made a single point to really bringing it out and, and talking about how it relates to the scenario and how it relates to you know, the business or, or how it relates to the, the auditor. So all of those things we can use in those exams. So I think really useful stuff for anyone doing written exams this exam sitting. Probably not quite so useful if you're doing a, a tax compliance exam or something like that, where it's very, very computational. But um, now I've enjoyed this evening, Ben. Thanks to everyone for listening. We will see you again very, very soon. Um, and if there is anything you want us to hear about, please drop us a note and we can, we're more than happy to tailor future episodes around the things that you want to hear about. So if it's study related, career related or anything in between, just let us know. And, and Ben and I are always happy to, to take those views on board and, and create uh, new podcast episodes based on the things you want to hear about. Thank you very much.